Gentlemen, I need to make an announcement this morning to you uh, regarding uh, my future role uh, and the leadership position. Uh, And today, on Sunday the 17th of July, I'm pleased to announce that I'm going to be running for leader of the Conservative Party. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, from that deafening cheer and thunderous applause, I take it that I have your full backing and support. Uh, but for those, for those who are still yet to be convinced, yes, I do agree. On paper, I am completely unqualified. I am not married to a billionaire. I never went to Eton or Oxford or Cambridge. In fact, I'm not even a member of a political party. However... However, when I was 17, I did appear on a TV chat show with then Prime Minister Tony Blair. True story, true story. And, and this is probably the most important thing that now qualifies you to be a Prime Minister. I know how, at any serious, serious work meeting, I know how to get the dance floor going. I know how to do I can get a conga line going at any serious work meeting. <laughs> See, the thing is, we long for the perfect leader. Right now, there's all these debates about who would be the perfect leader for our nation, the most powerful person in our nation, and we long for a perfect leader. And one thing we seem to know, or if you watch the news or go on social media, we know one thing for certain. That leader is definitely not Boris. Boo Boris. (laughs) Bad man Boris. But we weren't saying that two and a half years ago when we voted in by a landslide majority. It's interesting, isn't it? See, we long for this perfect leader, but every leader just seems to disappoint us. Now, don't worry if you're thinking this is a uniquely 2022 problem, it's not. This goes back through to the beginning of humankind. We look at it in the Old Testament. Thousands of years ago, the people of Israel cry out for a king. We want a leader. If only we had a leader, then life would be better. And how does it go for them? The leader gets installed, a king is put in place, and he disappoints. It goes badly. They say, God, why did you give us this leader? So if you think it's something unique to our current situation, then you're deeply mistaken. This is a problem at the heart of you and I, the heart of humanity. We long for a perfect leader. And the reason is we know that leaders actually make a massive difference. If they didn't, we wouldn't really care if Boris stayed in power or not, or who wins this Tory leadership election, or who leads any country or any workplace for that matter. The reason we care is because you and I both know deep down that leadership has a huge impact on the shape and the direction and the culture of the thing being led. And leadership is central to what it means to be Christians, to be followers of Jesus. And this goes right back to the start of Jesus' great commission, his calling, his commissioning of us. 
In Matthew 28, we've read this a lot during this recent leadership series. Jesus says, go and make disciples of where? All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So we see Jesus commissioning his early disciples, the apostles. We then see a picture of apostles. We've talked about this, haven't we, the last few weeks? Apostles appointing elders in local churches. And then local churches appointing other leaders, like deacons, to carry out the work of the church. See, leadership is key to the mission of Jesus. And so for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, mission and leadership is key. So what is the best way to live out that mission? For us as New Community, we've kind of distilled it down into this phrase that we exist to make disciples and family members and missionaries. Again, you've heard that quite a bit recently. In fact, the latest news is we're actually going to insist on everyone who's a member to get that tattooed. So if you want to make sure you sign up for that soon, that would be great because we talk about it all the time. Disciples, family members and missionaries, it's what we're all about. But what's the best way to make that happen? What's the best strategy? Now, is the best way to do that having great Sunday meetings, great Sunday church services, Because if you're to talk to a lot of people, they say, what does it mean to be a Christian? They would probably say something like, going to church. I said to someone recently, oh, what do you believe? They said, well, I I don't know what I believe, but I do sometimes go to church. In their head, being a, a Christian was synonymous with being in a church service like this on a Sunday. So are Sunday meetings what it's all about? Well, in many ways, yes. Gathering together on a Sunday is so important. It's so good to be here every week. It's great that even though, you know, we've got this really hot weather and you might have thought, I want to sit in my garden and dip my feet in the paddling pool or whatever you do on a hot day, you chose to be with the people of God today. It's great to come together to worship corporately, to hear teaching, to gather with the body and to interact with one another. And it's important that Sundays are this active, participating experience, not just a consumer thing, but an engaging thing. It's why it's so good to arrive before the meeting starts so that when worship begins, you're not playing catch up with your mind and body and soul, but you're ready to exclaim your praise to God. It's why when uh, things are happening around the meeting, we try and focus our hearts on God and engage with him despite all the distractions. It's why it's important for us to serve and give of our time and our treasure and our talents. It's why it's important to stay around after the meeting and talk to people because that's where relationships can start to be formed. It's why when we come to church, it's not just about getting, but about giving. Now, it's important that we remind ourselves of these things, of what church is, because I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's actually some debate about this, especially since the explosion in COVID of online church. Can a church really just meet online? Well, when we look at what church truly is, that being a believer is an active, participatory, that's the word, experience, an embodied physical experience, then can church really fully be something that take place, takes place on a screen? Well, no. Yes, online church is a, is a nice plan B if, you know, something like a global pandemic happens. Or maybe you're at home sick. It's, it's, it's good to have those kind of options available. 
However, it is nowhere near the full meaning, the full embodiment of what a church is meant to be. Let me just give you one story of many I could, just one from my own life. Last Sunday, I was sat down here on the front row in worship. I stood in worship and, and singing, and I'd had a, a very challenging week, a very challenging season of life with some different family struggles. And, and, and just as we were singing, as I was stood by my brothers and sisters, and I hear their voices just behind me, beside me, in front of me, singing, worthy are you, God. You are good. You are good. In the midst of that pain, declaring those truths with all those around me, it was this powerful moment. And I had nothing like that as I sat on my lounge in lockdown watching YouTube on TV. (laughs) And in that moment, Joe Simeon, who some of you will know, I don't know if he saw that I began to weep during worship, but he, he, he walked over towards me and he puts his arm around me and prays for me and he speaks truth over me and comfort and blessing. And I didn't experience any of that in online church. How powerful it was to feel a physical arm in a physical place from my brother in Christ. Praise God for the gathered people. We need to fight for this in a world that says that you can do church on your phone screen or church is an option every few weeks. No, this is a precious thing, brothers and sisters, and not something to take for granted. Something that millions of brothers and sisters around the world would long to have if there weren't such persecution. But here's the thing, while these Sunday gatherings are so important, even with the very, very best Sunday meeting, there's only so much that can ever be achieved. If we are trying to make disciples, family members and missionaries, Sunday meetings alone are definitely not enough. Why is that? Well, first of all, they're limited in making disciples because they're just not long enough. Now, don't worry. What I'm not suggesting is that we go to three, four-hour meetings. I've heard rumors that before I joined the church, it was normal for a meeting to go on for hours and hours, and I'm not you know, saying we need to bring that back. But what I am saying is this. Every week, you and I consume dozens and dozens of hours of content on our screens. Things that are telling us about how we should feel about sex, about money, about your place in the world, about success. All of these different things that you and I seeing on our screen from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep are discipling us. They are shaping you and your beliefs. And if we think that an hour and a half, maybe max two hours on a Sunday is somehow going to compete with dozens and dozens of hours every week, then we are absolutely kidding ourselves. No chance. Absolutely no chance. And the truth is, against that barrage of hour upon hour upon hour of message, now we might argue we need to reduce some of that time, but against that barrage, that tidal wave of truth, of lies and half-truths, we need to be immersing ourselves, yes, first and foremost, one-to-one with God, But secondly, surrounding ourselves with the people of God, not just on a Sunday, but throughout the week. People who can point us to the truth as we're bombarded with lies. So Sundays alone are limited in making disciples. Sundays alone are also limited in making family members. See, right now, what we're experiencing is just a tiny snapshot of life. 
I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I assume no one else, Monday to Friday, your kind of day-to-day looks like this. <laughs> Being sat in a room, uh, singing and listening to a sermon uh, with dozens of other people around you. Now, most of life takes place in our workplaces and in our homes and in our neighbourhoods. That's what real life is like. That's what normal, the majority of life looks like. And if we're going to grow as family members, if we only see each other in the maybe five minutes while we're drinking tea after a Sunday meeting, then we're never really building relationships. It's why we need to meet up with people outside of here. And even more powerfully, in our homes. Breaking down this horrible British notion that our home is our castle. You don't invite people in. No, the kingdom of God is an open door and an open table. That is how relationship is built in a world that has completely lost any idea of hospitality. And Sundays are also limited in making missionaries. Now, every Sunday, we're so blessed that many people who uh, don't know us yet or maybe exploring faith come through our doors to our meetings. It's, It's an amazing privilege. And if that is you, if you're here visiting today, checking us out, then it's so good to have you with us. But the truth is this. Many people would never just show up at a church building. Many people aren't just thinking one Sunday morning when the sun's out, you know what I fancy today? I'm just going to go down to New Community Church. That's not most people. And we have this idea of mission, this kind of half-developed and probably quite warped with mission. That mission is, God, bring the people to us. Bring them here, Lord. And yes, we do pray that. But you know what Jesus also said? Go. Go into all nations. Go into your neighbourhood. Go into your workplace. We can't just sit here in our holy huddle and say, oh God, bring them to our Sunday services. Do it, God. No, we need to go. He has sent you to be a missionary. And one of the great ways to do that is to do it with others. That might look like organising an event with your community. Or praying with someone in your community about a meetup they're having with a friend or a colleague soon. Sundays are limited in making missionaries. They're limited in making family members and limited at making disciples. And this is why community matters. This is why we talk about it every week. To be honest, it'd be easier if we just focused on Sundays. If we just said, hey, turn up, we'll put on a show, go home, see you next week. That would be easier. But that would be a terrible way to lead the people of God. Because we need community. You and I are malnourished believers if Sundays is our only experience of the people of God. So what is a community? We use this phrase a lot. So this is a phrase we've, uh, this is a sentence we've put through together to kind of encapsulate it. A community is a group of people shaped by the gospel, committed to one another, and powered by the Holy Spirit on mission to reach other people who live in their localities with the good news of Jesus. And we have communities all over this local area. There's some near to this church building and there's some far away. Some people I was chatting this morning met in Dartford last night. A group of people, a community forming in Dartford and in all sorts of areas and surely, I'm sure, near where you live too. Some are based around uh, kind of a weekly rhythm of meeting on a Wednesday night. Others change it up from week to week. Some are based around a neighbourhood or maybe a specific school or interest. 
And all of our healthy communities have both a mix of the regular and planned gatherings because it's important to have intentional things, not to just say, well, I just kind of do community as and when it happens. Because maybe you do, but when I'm just meeting up with people, it's not too often I get my Bible out and we do a deep discussion, then plan our mission for the next week. It's important to have those regular rhythms, those intentional rhythms, but at the same time, to have those informal meetups, to hear someone has a need and you go and help them, to invite someone around for dinner on a night that's not your official new community night, to build relationships outside of what is the normal community rhythm also. But here's the thing. For communities to thrive, we need good community leaders. Just like in every other sphere of life, for this to be good, for communities to be good, we need to have good community leaders. And with community being so central to what it means to be as New Community Church, community leaders are in many ways kind of the the lifeblood of so much of what happens here. In fact, I would go so far as to say if, if we had no community leaders and no communities, then our church would be a complete shadow of what it is. We need good community leaders. And so that leads to the question of, well, who should lead? Who should lead communities? Now, sometimes the, the, you know, the good Christian answer, if you've been around long enough, you might say, well, those who are called to lead. Those who are called to lead. Well, what does it mean to be called? I have been in so many conversations with people who get so wrapped up in, am I called to this? Am I called to that? And we all know a few Christians who've misused that phrase a little bit, haven't we? Like I had a friend who came up to me and said, oh, I just told so-and-so that God has called me to marry them. And she didn't feel that God had called her to marry him. <laughs> or sometimes I chat to people and say, oh, look, you've been coming to church a few now, years now. And you know, I think it'd be really great for you to get involved in one of the teams and uh, help serve and play your part in your church family. And, and, and I've heard, sadly, more than one person say, I just don't feel called to any of the serving roles at the church. Okay, okay. What does it mean to be called? Does it mean to hear that audible voice from God? Maybe, maybe you've had that experience. I haven't ever had that one myself. Maybe an angelic visitation, perhaps. Or maybe it looks a bit more like seeing a need and having a heart and responding in the eternal call of Jesus to love and serve. About five or six years ago, I was asked to... uh, kind of head up our six o'clock church gathering that we used to run pre-COVID. And at the time, basically, no one was in a community. We tried some things and struggling to get it off the ground. And a couple in the church called Niall and Catherine Crozier came up to me. And they said, look, we've, we've seen that there's this real need at six o'clock church to get people in community. And it's, it's not really working. And, and to be honest, we don't want to do it. We feel called to connect with older people in the church, whereas everyone in six o'clock churches, it feels like the majority are kind of 30 and under. It doesn't really feel what we're naturally called to, and yet we see a need. And so we feel like God may be asking us to do this. And so they started a community. And then they raised leaders and they multiplied that community. 
And that community multiplied again. And there was four communities and five communities. And all of a sudden, in the space of a year or so, we went from having almost no one in community to almost everyone being involved in an active community. And Nile and Catherine didn't feel called per se, but they saw a need and they responded. And perhaps that's more, brothers and sisters, what it truly looks like to be called. Now, others would say, well, I don't think I've had this chat with someone in recent weeks. I don't feel like I could lead a new community because I don't think I have good enough theology. I'm not kind of uh, uh, aware enough of kind of all the, the stuff in the Bible to be able to lead. Or some would say, I don't have a big enough home. Or had, and I can relate to this one, people saying, I just hate cooking. Or I, I struggle to lead a discussion. All of those things are things I've heard in recent weeks about people saying, ah, but, yes, I'd like to, but. Well, let's address them. First of all, this common idea of people saying, well, look, I struggle to understand. I don't have the full like, theology. I've never you know, really kind of been to Bible school or you know, I'm still kind of learning these things myself and I wouldn't know how to answer every question. Or people saying, I struggle to lead a discussion. What would I say if there's a question I don't know the response to? Well, what I would say to that is, as a leader, as a community leader, you are not the guru. You are not the guru that needs all the knowledge, all the information, has all the answers to all things. You are the facilitator of conversation. You are the one who points people to the word of God and the one who does have all the answers. And what about practical issues? For those who maybe say, well, I'd like to, but I just don't really think I have a big enough home. And to be honest, where we live, that's an understandable challenge. Where it costs half a mil to buy a shoebox. I understand that. It is mental around here. But if you don't have a big enough home, and you think, ah, oh, I relate to this, I wish we could fit more people in my lounge, find someone who can partner with who maybe does have a bigger home. Or get creative, maybe meet in a coffee shop or a restaurant or in a park during the day, or just have a smaller group. Or maybe you say you hate cooking. Amen to that. I hate cooking, and my wife will tell you she can testify to that as well. I'm trying to be a good husband, pray for me. But, um, now, the thing is, the quick answer is you don't have to have meals at your community gathering. You really don't. It's okay. But I would say there's real value in having meals together. When you look at Jesus in his life, he was, some would say, he was always going to eat with people or coming from eating with people. Food is central to building relationship. And so if you're like me and you're like, well, I don't really fancy cooking, we'll get a cooking rotor going. When we were running a community last term, we would meet at different homes and every week a different person would cook and a different person would lead the discussion. Because if you as a community leader are doing everything, one, you're going to get burnt out, and two, you're never going to raise other people. And so I would say to you, if you're a current community leader, or maybe burnt out from previously doing it, don't view leading as doing all the stuff. In fact, I would argue a bad leader does all the stuff. A good leader shares and raises and grows those people entrusted to them in their group. So what is the qualification of a community leader? Well, it would be helpful if there was a chapter in one book that said community leaders should be this, this, and this. 
But the closest we probably have in scripture is the, uh, the role of a deacon. Now, when we look at the qualifications for deacons in 1 Timothy 3, the qualifications say things like they must be honest, they must be respectable, they must not be greedy or given to addictions. Now, notice what those qualifications include. They're all about character. It's all about character. Now, this is not the way of the world, is it? We have this idea that for for leaders, as long as they get the job done, what they do in their private life doesn't matter. That is not the way of the kingdom. That is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is that every time, character trumps gifting. You can be the most gifted leader if you don't have character, if you don't have a heart for God and his people, then you're not qualified for the role. It's all about character. It's less about what you can do and more about who you are. It's about your heart. And I just want to encourage you, if you have a heart for people, if you say, look, I just want to see people grow and be freed and come to know Jesus more, then would you consider exploring becoming a community leader? You could chat to your community leader about it. Perhaps your community could do with multiplying. Or you could chat to one of the senior leaders, the elders here. Ask them what it could look like in your life. Perhaps you used to lead and you got so burnt out you said never again, or at least not for a long time. Again, maybe God is calling you to come back to the heart of what it means to lead. And someone here in church could talk to you about ways you can do that in a sustainable, sustainable, more enjoyable way. So what about the rest of us? You're saying, that's great, John. But realistically, at any one time in this church, only a fraction of people will actually be community leaders. So how does any of this relate to those of us who right now aren't going to be community leaders? Well, it's important to look, like a, look at the role that we can play as members of a community, as a healthy community. And there's two things that are enemies in our culture to you and I being healthy members of a community. Firstly, in our culture, we are anti-authority. We're anti-authority. Yesterday, I was sitting having my lunch, and uh, of course, all the windows of our flat are completely open as far as they can go, so I can hear everything going past. And uh, a chap was walking by uh, with, with a lady, and they were chatting, and, uh, and I heard him say very loud, he said, I want to quote him, he said, I'm not going to obey the law, I'm going to do what is right. Now, I'm not sure if he was referring to the fact that he was walking down Longlands Road smoking a massive joint or if it was to do with something else. And I didn't hear the response of the woman he was with. But his reply back to her was, "Um, I'm not going to obey the law. I'm going to do what is right because I don't trust politicians. I don't trust politicians. If any of you saw the Channel 4 uh, Tory leader debate this week, I saw some of the highlights, or could call it lowlights, where uh, they were sharing their different things. And there was an interesting moment where uh, the presenter turns to the audience and says, so he's looking at the candidates, he turns to me and says, all right, hands up, who here trust politicians? And how many hands went up? Zero. <laughs> Zero. 
There is a breakdown in trust in authority. And it's not just in politics. We've seen it in recent years, haven't we? In the film industry, in the music industry, in the sports arenas, in social care, and sadly, and most tragically, we've seen it in the church. And we've lost trust in leaders and leadership. We have an authority crisis, and it makes us cynical about leadership at every level. So anti-authority, and we're also anti-commitment. We have more freedom now than anyone in the history of humankind. Never before have we had as much freedom as we do now. Freedom to choose what we want to do with our lives. Freedom of where we want to live. Freedom of who we want to live with. Even freedom in our workplace has drastically increased in the last few years before people who would have dreamed of working from home can now do so, perhaps full-time or part-time. Freedom for our own time and our relationships. And with that freedom becomes, comes a, a desire not to be too tied down and not having to commit to things. And that might look like not wanting to commit too much in a relationship. It might look like flaking on social events. And that has become very much the norm. Whenever I preach about this, every time when I speak about flakiness and lack of commitment, I always get texts, I feel so convicted, that is so me. Because this is, uh, this is a real problem in our society. We don't want to commit, we don't want to be regular, we don't want to show up. On Friday night, I'd arrange to see someone. I'm waiting all night. Hey, you nearby? They never showed. Don't worry, they're not here. <laughs> they flaked on this too. Uh, but, <laughs> but that is the reality. When I hear say to people, hey, do you want to join a community? Well, you know, week to week, my life looks like this, and, and you know, I'm involved in this, and I, I just don't want to commit. I, I've heard that phrase so many times, even in these four walls. When I chat to community leaders, I say, how's it going? I chat to community leaders all the time, and one of the most common things, yeah, it's kind of a roller coaster. I'm like, how so? Well, you know what, two weeks ago we had the most amazing meeting. There were 16 of us, and we loved it. Okay, that's great. So then what happened? Well, last Wednesday we had to cancel. I was like, why is that? Well, half an hour before we went to meet, the WhatsApps just started lighting up, and everyone's like, oh, sorry, can't come, sorry, can't come. So it's just two of us left. I'd planned this whole discussion. I'd cooked all the food and there was two of us, so we called it off. Had that conversation countless times. We are anti-commitment. But brothers and sisters, the way of the kingdom is different. The way of the kingdom is not the way of this world. We live in an upside-down kingdom. And there is a way to combat the anti-commitment and anti-authority spirit of this age. Hebrews 10 tells us how. It says this. Let us hold fast, cling on to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he, Jesus, who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting, this is key, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what is the antidote to being anti-authority? 
encouragement, encouraging one another. When you see a leader in your community or in the church, it's encouraging them. Dave said a great phrase on Wednesday night, I think it's the family meeting, it's we, we have a tendency to have nice thoughts to people inside, but we rarely actually say them to them. Encourage one another. Thank one another. And this is key. Think the best of one another. If you've ever been in leadership, you'll know this to be true. You will make decisions that people will see and get the completely wrong end of the stick. And then you find out either through conversations that have happened behind your back or even to your face that people are hurt and angry and you say, wait, I'm so sorry. That's not what I meant at all. In the face of being anti-authority and signal, we think the best of one another. We have grace for one another and we encourage one another. And you know what? If you see a problem, you offer to fix the problem and not just use the spiritual gift of complaining. (laughs) Secondly, being anti-commitment, the antidote to that is devoted dedication. Hebrews tells us to not neglect, to meet together, which encouraging to us today is not a 2022 alone problem. Even in the early church, there was this idea of, is it really that important to meet together? See, the antidote to anti-commitment is devoted dedication. And this hurts. Here's why. Because dedication requires sacrifice. Commitment requires sacrificing your ability to choose what you do with your time. And that's not something we want to do, naturally. It's not something encouraged in our society. But this is the reality. You can either have love or complete freedom. You can't have both. Love requires sacrifice. Love requires saying, I will give you the thing that is most precious to me, even when I don't feel like it. And community requires laying down control. You cannot have complete control of your calendar and have the beautiful blessing of community. It's one or the other, brothers and sisters. And that's the choice that we get to make. Now, we have tried to make community more accessible than ever before because the reality is there are, there are people who really want to be in community, but because of your life setup due to the season you're in, it's really difficult to make it to community. And that's a real challenge. And so more and more new communities are beginning that aren't just the normal Wednesday night Bible study pattern. Communities that meet during the day and on weekends in different rhythms to help people connect in. And if there's not currently one that fits with your work pattern or life pattern, then maybe God's calling you to start one. Perhaps there's other people in that same life stage who could do with a Sunday afternoon community. That works great for you too. And you could be part of starting something. Now with all of this, all of this stuff to do with community, it all comes down to one thing. It all comes down to Jesus. If Jesus is God, if he really is the way, the truth, and the life, then that changes everything. Then our time can no longer just be our own. 
Our priorities are completely shifted. Everything our life is oriented towards is shaped by the knowledge and love of Jesus. He changes everything. And the thing is, he's not just our motivation, he's our model. Jesus is the model of the leader we long for, the leader we strive to be. Jesus is our model. Now, did anyone this week see the incredible photos that NASA released from the James Webb photograph? You know, I was going to project them on the screen and I thought, no, I just would butcher it. It's not, it's just, it, would, it would just not be worth trying to communicate how incredible that this week we had the most detailed pictures of space that humans have ever witnessed. On the front page of every newspaper in the country, Incredible, incredible images of planets and galaxies and stars far too big, far too far away for us to even comprehend those kind of sizes and distances. And not just the result of two atoms colliding somehow accidentally however many billions of years ago, but beautiful planetary objects shaped by the King of Kings. Galaxies formed. I mean, there's that second picture they released. Just, I don't know how to describe it. If you haven't seen it, you've got to see it. It's just, you look at the majesty and beauty of, of not just this scientific God who creates, but this artistic God who, who forms space in the most beautiful ways. And yet, the God who in Genesis 1 says, he made the stars also. You know, this kind of throwaway line. I mean, if that was me, I'm going to be milking that one, at least a few chapters talking about my creation. He made the stars also. That God, the one who could have stayed in that majesty, who could have stayed aloof, when he saw his people reject him, he didn't stay far off. He came close. He entered in. The hands that flung stars into space came to this earth and placed those hands on lepers, outcasts, the rejected of society. Hands that flung stars into space washed the dirty feet of his disciples, including the man who was about to betray him. Hands that flung stars into space bound, taken to his place of execution. And hands that flung star into space, pierced to a tree. The incarnation of Jesus is our model. The incarnation of Jesus is our motivation. The God who doesn't stay far off and say, well, I hope they sort that out. The God who doesn't say, yeah, but that's going to involve my sacrifice. The God who enters in, who loves and serves the least, the last, and the lost. Brothers and sisters, we love because he first loved us. We serve because he first served us. And our dream, our desire is that we would lead and be the people of God in a way which models and honours his great love and sacrifice for us. And so we're going to end by praying. And uh, some of it, I just want to 
I want us to thank God that he would allow us to be part of his great mission. But secondly, that he would stir us to not just be people who stand back in gratitude, but enter in following his example of the one who entered in. So can I ask you just to join with me in prayer? Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Oh Lord, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. God, as we see those images of galaxies so big our brains so small can not understand. Our question is, God, how? How could you even care about little old us in this tiny corner of the world, in this tiny corner of human history? And yet you do. You care about my need. You weep with us when we weep. Rejoice with us when we rejoice. It's a scandal. And we're so grateful, Lord. And would our lives be shaped by that truth that you're the one who still wants to enter in to our neighbours who are right now so far from you to our colleagues who are living in darkness to those who are hurting right now under the pain of abuse or addiction Lord would we be your hands would we be your hands Lord would we be those who fight for community to be disciples and family members and missionaries for our good, but yes, your glory, Lord. And Lord, help us when we feel tired, when it feels difficult. Give us the strength to think the best, to choose what's good. And would we see more and more added to your family? We love you, Lord. We're so grateful for your sacrifice. Would we honour you with our lives?